Hello and welcome to Off the Record. We have a special guest this week, Jeff from Run for Cover uh, Records. He's our second guest, I believe. And so whether you are listening live on Adobe or a normal listener, uh, you'll be able to find out a lot more about the episode and Jeff in our show notes at offtherecord.fm. And uh, hi, Jeff. Hi. Hello. Good to be here. Jesse has known Jeff since what, 2009? I think that's right. Yep, that's what I was guessing. That's when Dahlia came out, it seems like. Yep. And then I would have gotten familiar with Jesse and Jeff in 2010 uh, as Man Overboard's Real Talk came out and Transit's Keep This to Yourself has come out. And here we are five years later and everything is uh, is a little different for all of us. <laughs> a little. Yeah, that is true. I, I don't know how different it is for Jesse. Uh, well, <laughs> I make a lot more money now. That's good. That, that was a bad point in my life when I decided it sh- I should be a manager for a band with no fans. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the same Skype username, so <laughs> yeah, we we can tell. Yeah, should we out you? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, great. So, with that, do you want to give a small intro of what Run for Covers like, Zach? Since you'll be better at this than I am. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Or Jeff could do it, but yes. Uh, so for those who wouldn't know, uh, Run for Cover is a label from Boston, Massachusetts that Jeff has been running for what, like 10, going, right? Some, yeah, so, some, sometime some this year will be our 11. Wow, okay. Wow. So since I was 11 years old, Jeff has been running Run for Cover Records. <laughs> um, since he was in a school in New Hampshire or in college in somewhere in Massachusetts, maybe. From then, uh, my first entry point to the label was, like I was saying, through Man Overboard in Transit and then through many other bands like Man Overboard, Citizen, Tiger's Draw, Basements, and um, more recently, Pity Sex, uh, Teen Suicide, Elvis Presley, and many others. Uh, and so we wanted to talk with Jeff today to go through some questions about record labeling and growth and um, all that stuff. We should say that Jeff did another really good podcast recently um, with Ray Harkins on 100 Words or Less that you should listen to. If you're interested in more stuff, we'll be touching on some other things, but that was also a good background and to run for cover and um, how to do things right and what to not do wrong. <laughs> Agreed. Great episode. Thank you. Um, so... The first question we're going to get into is a, a the one I know the kids really want to know, <laughs> which is that you've worked with bands that are all over the map in styles of music now, whether it's GDP, who is hip-hop, onto, how do you say this, Mather Lockerson band? I can never remember. Mokhtavarskan. Yeah, I got that really right. <laughs> um, <laughs> on to like, you know, as we said, man overboard transit citizen type beds. What are, is there any similarity or differences you could tell people about what it's like when you're breaking a band like these? Not really, honestly. I, I don't really think of it that way. Like when we were first, when I was first putting out records, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking of like breaking a band. I was thinking like, can I sell enough copies of this that I'm not losing money, you know? And I mean, that's kind of the same way I go about it now. It's just that uh, the amount of resources we have and, you know, is a lot different, you know? Yeah, it's funny for like for a bad timing, Thomas and I, 
at the beginning when whenever we whenever we talk about bringing in bands or releases that we think could flop or could not flop but there's obviously no way to tell it's like how many do we need to sell to break even but were you like when things started you probably were you even thinking about it in that sense i mean i guess not even really no i i didn't really think i i was going to make money and i didn't really think that there was any possibility that you know it could it could turn into a real business I, it's kind of just something that I wanted to do and like, and didn't really think too much more about it. But I mean, what, what does breaking a band mean? Like what, what is, well, I think more of this is that you pick up bands that are not always known quite yet. And then when you take them on, then they get some more fan base. If you were sitting with a manager and they're talking about how they're going to promote this band, is there things that you see that work better in some of the genres you deal with than others? Like for example, obviously, working with a pop punk band or a modern baseball, that's much more going to be based around merchandise than say cloakroom. Yes, that's, that is definitely true. I mean, besides, you know, strategically having, uh, strategically picking tour partners or, you know, obviously a lot, not all of our bands can play warp tour at this point, just because of the kind of music that they're playing, you know, just making smart decisions on that sort of stuff. But, you know, like marketing wise, and, you know, with like the rollout of a release, it's we don't really do anything differently, I would say. You know, I kind of just assume that if, if something is good enough that people are going to catch on to it. And I think that, you know, that's happened a lot. And I, I don't think mm-hmm. it's, I don't think it's because of us. I think it's just because, you know, we find bands that resonate with people. Yeah. One of my I remember with modern baseball, like just as we all go to school together two years ago, I guess it would have been two years ago that they signed to run for cover. Yeah. I think um, I remember it was like it was over winter break and I was talking with Eric, their manager, and he was like, yeah, it'd be really cool if like a year from now we could get hit up by any label, like run for cover would be insane, but they would never hit us up. And then I remember like two days later, you had contacted the band and were like, hey, what's up? Um, and I was like, that's kind of insane. because. <laughs> Because you guys have not done a thing, and you're still really goofy, and you and they are still very goofy. <laughs> but I don't know. Something that I've always liked about Run for Cover from afar or from up close is just like not that you get in there early and any kind of gross business way, but just in the sense that like it feels like you can spot potential a lot better than I or any a lot of people can. Like I just thinking back specifically on modern baseball more than anything, or even Man Overboard. If I think about like what the music sounded like then compared to an album or two later. Like, it seems like you have just a better eye for where things can go or a trust in where you think people will take it. I mean, I sort of feel like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on out there that I don't know about and I find out about too late. But something like Modern Baseball, you know, was kind of like right in front of me. And honestly, like the second I heard it, I knew that that was, they were going to be an important band to a lot of people. I think I hit them up the same day I, I heard that record, honestly. Hmm. Um, but, you know, like, th- th- they already had a full length. I guess that it wasn't their first release, you know. I would have liked to have heard of them before that. But, you know, a lot of times when a band releases an LP like that, they just get you know, hit up by, you know, five labels at a time. Is that something that you've that's changed from the beginning? Like, I don't know, I can even think of... Just from management or label perspective now, I can think of like 
you know, there's a few bands where it's like they release a new album. It's been out for a minute. Like it hasn't even been released, whether they have like a label contract or not. And then truly everyone under the sun. It's like, do you think there? I feel like there's a lot more like shark smelling blood in the water right away when it can even like offend bands. Like I'll, I'll talk to bands sometimes and they're like, we just put our album out. Like we'd like to think about this album right now. We're not looking for three albums down the line quite yet. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, we've definitely had bands that we've talked to a few bands who have felt like that, who, you know, just put out an LP that got a lot of attention and it took them a long time to make. And, you know, they need to ride that out for at least two years before they even start thinking about the process that for a next record, that's also going to take another two years to make, you know, that's just how some bands function. And I totally understand not, not even wanting to look that far ahead because for a lot of bands, putting out an LP is like a huge thing and you can't just keep pumping them out a lot of the time. Totally. So to piggyback off of Zach's question, I can remember um, Zach and I were, well, I was really drunk at the modern baseball concert. I don't think Zach was <laughs> <laughs> quite near the level I reached that night. Um, but uh, I remember turning to him very ecstatically and thinking, like, wow, the haircut MySpace band thing is so dead in pop punk. Because look at how ridiculously nerdy these guys look. <laughs> he was really just making fun of Ian, I think, you know? Yeah. Um, so... With that, you also signed Man Overboard early on, and arguably, as uh, someone once put it, Nick looks like if Meatwad was turned into a person from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. <laughs> and you're not signing these bands that are, you know, there was like this meme going around, like when Man Overboard and Transit were coming up, that like, you know, you had to have the good looking guy in the band and everything. <laughs> Is there something, obviously, that's not something you look for, but. Is there any disqualifiers that you see that really turn you off when you're looking at a band that aren't the opposite of need a good-looking band band member? Do, do you have certain things that when you see bands do that just are like, yep, deal breaker, I can't sign you now? Uh, can you like give me examples of what that might be? Well, I know for me, when bands ask me to take on their production, I read their social media if they're reviewing a Kardashians episode, I'm probably not going to want to hang around with them for two weeks straight. Uh, just, I, you know, I look at that. I mean, I turned out a band recently because I saw them tw tweet a bunch of racist shit. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's definitely a deal breaker. <laughs> Jeff's uh, like, no, I want to sign all those bands. <laughs> yeah. But uh, beyond that, I mean, unless some, unless like a, somebody is like a known horrible person slash huge troublemaker, you know, that would put me off. But I mean, obviously we don't care what bands look like. That's not even, but don't, don't you guys have were, aren't they the biggest troublemakers that there is now? Um, yes, but that, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily ever come back to us really. Um, uh, I mean, we're not, they are signed to a different record label. We just happen to put out releases for them. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I doubt that they really get, the other label gets the brunt of it either. But yeah, people have like emailed me saying that they're like banning run for cover because we, if we continue to put out records for were and, um, you know, <laughs> what, whatever. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting to think about like what a record label means to, in supporting bands or, or also just like the personality of, of run for cover. Um, I guess like if you think about, you know, like teen suit, like, I don't know, just thinking about the different personalities of bands on run for cover, like Matt from citizen is a bodybuilder. And then like, you look at like teen suicides, Twitter page, and they're just like, 
they are completely different things versus it, it's just interesting, I guess, to see how a label can grow in diversity, even bad timing. Like we have Knuckle Puck, who are pure pop punk band. And then like on the other spectrum, there's Kevin Devine and those two things couldn't be like any, any, any farther apart, I guess. Um, and that I, I think has actually worked really well for you guys over, it's taken time for it to adjust, but I, I think it's worked well, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's like kind of what keeps things interesting. You know, I think it, with bad timing, you guys from the get go, were kind of putting out some different stuff. You know, I guess it started like a little more pop punk, but you know, it, the label's not very old and you've already put out stuff that's kind of all over the place stylistically. But yeah, there was definitely like a transition period for us. But I, I think that our roster has a ton of different sounding bands currently, but I think that it kind of all makes sense. Well, uh, I was curious if the thing that really strings it together as I was looking through the roster doing questions is, in my opinion, I think your secret is really you're just signing the bands with the best band names because Elvis <laughs> Depressley, Teenage Suicide, and Pity Sex are three of my favorite band names that exist right now. Yeah, they are good. They are those are good names. Elvis Presley seems to piss a lot of people off. And I, I don't really understand why. Really? I mean, I, it's my like least favorite band name on Run for Cover, probably. What? I'm, a, I'm one of the I'm one of the youths, Jesse. You gotta. Oh my god. You're my. You both are just so much older than me that it just feels better to older people. Maybe. That's <laughs> oh what my was god. Great. We are we are pretty old. I mean, I know. <laughs> so, so to stay with. How you curate. Have you guys seen the movie 24-Hour Party People? I have not. Mm. So it's the story of Tony Wilson who ran Factory Records. So Tony Wilson arguably discovered everybody from Joy Division to the Sex Pistols, New Order, and tons of huge bands. And he was this. He even hosted Wheel of Fortune. Weird. He was such a big celebrity in England. It's one. Of, it's my single favorite movie of all time. Wait, is that is that the Factory documentary? It's not a documentary. It's an acted movie with Stephen Coogan. Okay, because there is also a Factory documentary that I have. I have seen. Yeah. So. Tony Wilson, that main guy. So there's a famous moment in it where he believes in the Happy Mondays like no A&R man believes in a bad, And he's just convinced they're the biggest geniuses. But anybody who knows the Happy Mondays knows that they did tons of drugs on stage all, unabashedly all the time. And so they famously went to record this record and they went to Jamaica to do it, I believe it was. And uh, they came back basically with a record that was the most drug-fueled mess of all time. <laughs> And that he's forced to, how do I not put out, or in real life, it was how do I not put this record out from a band I love, whereas really in the movie it's portrayed as, well, then they have to sell the record label to get rid of this piece of shit. But so what would happen, and how would you deal with it, if one of your favorite bands on the label turned in a piece of shit that you hated? Because <laughs> I think this defines a record label and like how they handle their artists very much? That's a really tough question and something that I've thought about before and not something that I've really experienced. Uh, it may just come down to the specific situation. I don't. I think we would probably put it out. You'd maybe <laughs> even have to. A lot, I feel like a lot of it also depends on just... There's different ways. Like you, can, you can like parallel that situation too, right? Like one band could think song X is like the single and... Everyone else, including management, could think it's the worst song on the album without wanting to say, like, this song sucks, guys. Um, and, like, you know, you have to, especially if you love the band, you probably got to put it out. I would imagine we would have to put it out, too. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, unless, yeah, I mean, you, unless you it's like a hip hop, it. yeah, unless it's like a hip hop record from like a pop, from like a 
And like, I, I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, who am I to say that it's not good enough to be released is kind of how I feel about it. Like, I would, I would rather put it out than give the band another advance to go record another record, I think. And it's not, <laughs> like, it's not like if you're like, if you told them that, you know, this is awful, like, go make another record, like, who's to say it would even be what you wanted it to be, you know? Right. Your job your job is to put the music out. Their job is to make it. Yeah. Well, but the, the, there's another side to that. So, like, I think about, there's, like, the, the famous thing, obviously, in the Wilco documentary, where mm-hmm. their present label says that uh, Yankee Foxtrot Hotel is a terrible record, and then... None such puts it out, and it's considered one of their best records. But what and doesn't get a gazillion copies? Yeah, but what doesn't get spoken for though is how often A and R men go. You know what? This mix sucks. Let's go remix it. You know what? I don't hear a single. I think you guys didn't write enough songs. You just recorded the first ten songs you wrote. Maybe you needed to be like Rancid and write sixty songs <laughs> for a twenty-song record. Like they do every record. Like there is some curation. So do you mostly stay out of that side of it or do you get into it? We kind of just, you know, help like push the situation along. You know, if if an artist wants to go with a, a mix that, you know, we have other options that, you know, someone at the company thinks is better um, and they really want to go with something else, like we're going to let them do that. But, I mean, we definitely put our opinion out there with stuff like what singles are going to be, like the first songs people hear and stuff like that. But if the band has the exact opposite idea, we we let them go with it. I think, like, Jesse, you probably have the most, I mean, you have to for your job, have the most comfortability, too, of telling a band, like, this is wrong or this needs to be better or whatever. Like, the few times any, the few times bands on J-Tree or Bad Timing have asked, like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? I, my ultimate answer in my head, whether I say it or not, is like, I feel like I don't know anything about music, really, actually, in this exact moment. <laughs> like, you know, if it's like, what mix do you prefer? I have no problem saying what mix I prefer. Like, but uh, I, I can't. It's like, I don't know. It feels like a wrong thing to me almost sometimes. But I think that all it is is you're just trusting your gut. No one's opinion. That myth of like the person who hears hits is really, if you bat one out of 10, you're a major label A&R man, and that single gets big, you're considered a genius, even though you missed nine other singles. That's true. So I think that there's a big thing. Like, yeah, obviously for my job, it's my job to say this, but I have a policy personally as a producer. Like, I'm not the producer who throws the shit fit and says my way and I know more than you. I Because I fully you get to— You do that to, on the podcast all the time, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But I, I think it, there's a thing. You say your opinion once, and then if they disagree, that's what makes them a unique artist a lot of the time. And that was the whole reason I started producing records is because all these heavy metal guys were like turning up the reverb. I'm like, no, dude, it's punk. Turn down the reverb. We don't want the fucking poison snare. Relax. <laughs> and that's what got me jobs is I knew how to tell these dudes to not make it how it sounded like a, a heavy metal record when I wanted it to be a punk record. Do you ever record like, you know, 75% of a song and just realize that it's horrible? Uh, like two weeks ago, we turned around and redid a whole song from start. And I've done that many. I mean, on you know, on Real Talk, we like literally just dropped songs and re-recorded new songs midway through. And I don't know if I did know that. Uh, we might not have wanted to tell you because then uh, we would have been uh, <laughs> asking you for more money might have been uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't, I mean, we had demos of, of the whole record before it got recorded, didn't we? 
You did, and then we swapped out some songs for other ones, and we did some extra songs, and then we put Montrose on the record when we realized one of them sucked. Oh, okay. that was a good that was a good switch off then. Yeah, that yeah. Montrose should should have been on there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was like two weeks before the end, right before also we re-recorded the drums for the second time on the record. <laughs> so much fun, pop punk classic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the original, the original two defenders right here, really. Um, <laughs> uh, Jeff, the that Fader article a while interested me, and I wrote about it a bit on the site. But like, I, I laugh when people say "run for cover" or any label. Most, I mean, most nine times out of ten, unless it's like Victory Records, or like that you're doing something for money, or that you're signing a band that sounds like something for money or to sell more records or whatever. And the, the, the obvious answer on one side is like, of course you're signing this band because you think or hope or want them to sell a million records. But like, it's not, I assume for both of us and for most people, that's not like why you're doing something. But what interested me about that article was that it kind of, the point of it, I guess, was to show that Run For Cover is this cool thing. And it, it talked about the new world of Run For Cover and specifically and really only mentioned Elvis and Teen Suicide. And there weren't mention of those bands, like you were saying, that could play Warp Tour, like Modern Baseball or Citizen, or even to an extent like Tiger's Jaw or um, Basement. And I was wondering, like, even though there is a really solid balance with Run For Cover, how do you how do you view things as like the new world or the old world, or do you not view it at all that way? Because I there was I remember like multiple years ago at this point, there was all this talk of like on absolute punk of just like run for covers, my new drive through everything. I want to buy everything on run for cover. I would have said that too, and like no no offense, and I know you probably won't take offense to this, right? But like Elvis Presley is not my thing. I don't hate it. It's just not my thing. And three years ago, I don't know a single release on Run For Cover I wouldn't have wanted. I'll listen to any band you guys sign with a completely open mind, but it doesn't, there's no necessary guarantee anymore that I'm going to buy a new Elvis Presley record. And like, do you, is that ever on your mind or no? I think a lot of people that have been following Run For Cover for multiple years have kind of, you know, like grown up with the, the label growing up. I mean, I guess you're probably a similar age to our target audience. You know, I don't think it's yeah, too Yeah, definitely far am. Off. And I, I'm a little different, I guess, in in some ways, just because of the line of work. Because you don't you don't appreciate anything outside of pop punk. Yeah, do, you, you, do you only listen to pop punk? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you say that like an insult, but I'm going to no. take it like a question. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm honestly curious. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, I listen to a lot of... It's definitely everything. I don't listen to probably anything outside of the general, like, quote-unquote, music, our music scene. And yeah. so that could go from, whatever, Modern Baseball to Blink-182 to Death Cab for Cutie to Bonnie Vare. But, like, something like Elvis Presley like, is out of my comfort zone of music. That doesn't mean I can't... It's not like I'm, like, refusing to like it. But I definitely do, like, just listen to this music. I want... It's interesting with me, because, like, this is, like, a silly example to this conversation, but I see, like, Drake release a mixtape and everyone on my Twitter timeline like it, and then I'll listen to it, and I'll be like, I want to like this, and I don't. Yeah, and that, no, I, If I you know what I mean that, there, right? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> just, just about Drake. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> but so yeah, I don't know. I listen to mostly this music. I think I don't listen. I think most people think all I do all day is listen to Newfound Glory and Blink One Eighty Two. And there's more. I listen to more. I would say like sad quote unquote emo music that's not really emo music more. But I definitely am not. I don't really have a mature palette as you or like Jesse listening to also like dance music, for example. Like that's not me. Very mature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean, though. So I, I don't know. Like, do you think so? Yeah, I, I've definitely grown with the label, right? Like, I mean, I get you're you're 22, right? Um, about to be 21 for now. Yeah, I mean, that's super young. I was listening to a lot of the same stuff when I was that age too. You know, like right. maybe maybe when you're 28, you'll really like the Run for Covers releases from 2015. Jesse will be in his 40s. <laughs> that's, that's that's true that's, and I, I guess that, i guess that's accurate but yeah i guess that's i guess that's something do you view that like you have to view it i imagine you view it as just all one family right definitely a lot of the newer bands we have signed like probably have never even heard citizen or know what citizen is you know but right. they're also probably the biggest band on our label right so <clears> i mean that there is definitely some sort of, of difference but i think that the line is blurring between those two things, which is kind of what I would like to happen. Let me or let me ask you a weird question, and you can also like pass on it. But just like just like you grow, right? Like I couldn't see Run for Cover signing like Man Overboard in 2015, and that's probably because your like just tastes have matured, right? Like, and that's that's okay. That's not a terrible thing by any means. But is that kind of accurate? Not like you don't have to say that you wouldn't sign Man Overboard in 2015, but just that as your tastes grow, that you wouldn't expect Run for Cover to be signed to be releasing the same kind of music in 2020 that you were releasing in 2008, for example, right? Like you expect you want the label to grow with you and where you are at that moment. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just not. I'm just not interested in in that genre of music. I, you know, I still love the Man Overboard records we release. It's just, you know, I'm not. I, I don't care to seek out other bands of of that genre. You know, one of the things we talk about the podcast all the time is that the bands who make the best music are the bands who make the music for them. And I think your label has always been a good example of you're just signing what you like. My question would be: Is can you even tell when a pop punk band's good now? Like you used to be able to, because um, I have trouble. That's actually a good. That's an interesting question because no, the answer is no. Like that's you know, what I'm here for, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can listen to like state champs or something and be like, yeah, I get why this is popular, and the, and think that they do it well. But you know, outside of that, I, I don't think I could successfully recreate like our roster in 2009 or 10 now, you know, just because I, just because I don't care, you know, I don't, yeah, I, I have trouble. Like I can hear same thing. Like I can hear state champs and say, yes, I get why this is big, good production, well thought out songs, good harmonies and do two plus two because four. But if I heard that band in the raw or saw them in a VFW, I'd be like, I don't fucking get it. It looks like every other band. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. When I was young, I could see those little diamonds erupt. I also never had an ear for hearing bands that were before they were popular like you did, but I have less of one now as I get older yeah, for that style. But also, how many VFW shows are you going to? You know, if you went, you're going to zero, I imagine. <laughs> uh, no, that, that, there's that's not totally true. I, I went, I went to like some shitty bush, the the Bushwick equivalent to it. I go to okay. up to somebody's kitchen, yeah. and watch some <laughs> well, bands that's interesting. in front of twenty people. So do you guys? So I, I think I'm the worst 
I like I have these really weird experiences where I can only think of like a true one handful of bands that I'd never heard of before before sorry I I can only think of a handful of bands that I haven't heard of and seen them at a show and then left being like oh my god this is the greatest band before I was doing anything on the website like you know when I was 14 through 16 and then also now it's really really rare that I find like that I go to a show and I'm blown away by a by a band that I've never heard before I could see other people be in that into that band and be like holy shit I should check these guys out because either I'm missing out on something in terms of like a record label thing or I could love this band but do you like Jeff, do you go to shows or were you going to shows and being like, wow, this band is incredible. I should sign this. I know I've always been someone that's like, I need to hear the music and know what the lyrics are and blah, blah, blah to enjoy a band rather than just picking up on them live for the first time. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely hard, especially considering, you know, I used to go to a lot of hardcore shows and it's like nearly impossible to tell whether a hardcore band is is good live. Uh, No, I mean, whether they're good recorded live. You know what I mean? It's hard to tell if they would, you know, if it's something that would be worth listening to because all hardcore live sounds pretty similar. It's true. Um, but I think that the reason that you don't go to shows and see bands that you haven't heard of that are good is because you've heard of every band that's good. You know, I, I mean, don't you think we, I, Jesse, maybe less than both of us because we're actively looking for stuff like that. But yeah. Well, I, I, perfect right. examples. I saw that band hop along and I had no idea that they were even. A thing. How do you not know who Hopalong are? I mean, this I, I didn't know who they were. This was a few months ago. I, I, you got to realize too, man. I'm like, yeah, you don't care. I have I have to make so much. I have That's to make fair. so much music right now that like listening to new music is so hard for me to do. Well, it's funny you bring up Hopalong because that like the only two truly recent examples I can think of were like me seeing Hopalong before I knew what they were and hearing um, her voice and being like, I've never heard vocals like this in a live environment. And then also like I saw All Get Out, who are on Bad Timing Now, open for Balance and Composer and La Dispute several years ago. And... Nate, Nate, the singer, had commanded a crowd in a way that I had never heard, like seen in like a one spot of a tour command a crowd before. And it's like it is super rare. But actually that that you saying that, Jeff, like makes me wonder. So now as I've gotten pretty obsessed with podcasts, I listen to so much (laughs) podcasts, so many podcasts. Um, And sometimes unless I'm like really in love with new music, I'm often more listening to podcasts. Do you like do you think you still listen to as much music as you have always? Not that you're checking out less music or something, but like on a daily, you know, I just remember like three years ago, there would never be a moment where I wasn't playing music if I was like by myself working or home alone or something like that. Um, I, I'm not really like that. I don't, I don't listen to music. There's probably days where I don't listen to any music. Um, hmm. And this is weird. And I, this is not really anything I've ever talked about before. You know, not that it's some crazy revelation, but I don't really listen to a lot or like check out a lot of music that isn't something that I want to hear from the perspective of owning a record label. You know, I don't, hmm. I don't go on. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. I don't do that. I. I don't. I don't think Thomas and I have ever like. I we gotta we gotta sign a band. Like let's let's scour. Oh band yeah, camp, no. You know? But I mean, like I don't go to like Pitchfork and listen to you know the last ten tracks that they've posted. You know, I don't. I don't really actively search out stuff that I can't apply to like 
run for cover, I guess. It's just, I don't, I know that's weird. And I, I see a lot of people who work in, you know, own record labels and at some points have to be like an A&R guy who, you know, are, are listening to every new record that comes out. And I, I just don't do that. I don't check out, you know, any like bigger type of artist. Like I, I haven't heard like the last Drake record, you know, I, 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 it's weird. I, I just, with something, I think if it's something that um, I think could be applied to run for cover, you know, it has my intention and anything else sort of doesn't. You know, I listen to like records that I love, you know, that I've loved for years all the time. But as far as like new music coming out, um, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a large consumer of it. Hmm. So what, um, what do you think, what would you say your job is now then? Because I know like when, when, run, when I first was introduced to Run For Cover, you know, man, I'm still waiting on that transit record from 2010, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you, you were doing, you were doing a little bit of everything. Maybe at that point you weren't doing mail order. I don't know. But like, you know, when I, when I was first introduced to the label, you were kind of doing everything, I think, from business to still packing stuff probably. And now... Um, you have a label manager, you have a distribution person, you have multiple mail order people, customer service people. But, and I, I, I found it interesting on like the hundred and hundred words or less podcast where you mentioned that, like, you find yourself, you find yourself like really, really lucky and happy that you can walk out of, you can walk into and walk out of work without feeling a lot of stress and that you're just doing your job. And like Thomas and I had a very stressful record label day. We put on we put for sale a pre-order that we under-ordered for and we sold out of in a day, which is really great, but it, it's a new release. And so now we don't have any product to sell technically, you know? Uh, and so we were like, oh shit, we got to press, we have to press a thousand more records out of nowhere or else we'll have no product to sell for the no, for for like the next month when we're supposed to be promoting a new release that yeah. comes out in April. And like that was stressful. And that's partially because Thomas and I have other jobs and we also, uh, you know, we're doing the production. We're doing, we're helping on mail order stuff. We're, you know, we're, we're doing everything for the label. And so now you're like, you were boss man, even though I think you don't consider yourself like boss man, boss, but what, like, what, what do you like to do with the label? now? A lot of my time is spent, you know, signing bands and it's not, I'm, I don't like look for bands to sign, you know, but obviously so much music comes across, you know, my computer screen. Um, so that's a lot of it. I mean, I pretty much sign, I would say, every band that gets signed to the label. You know, there might have been one or two in the last few years that uh, someone else at Rumper Cover, like, you know, brought up. Um, but in general, I think that's the main thing. Um, on, like, a daily basis, what I'm doing is usually uh, the website or web store-oriented um, or like graphic design type stuff. Do you still like doing that? Like you built the re- you built the current yeah. site, um, right? Yes, yeah, it was stressful. You know, I'm not a professional web designer by any means, but I've kind of taught myself enough um, to you know be able to make a website. Um, that was definitely a stressful thing to do, only because I'm if I was better at it, it would be a lot easier and less stressful. But um, yeah, I do like doing it. It's just you know it can just be a lot of work. Do you see yourself like in five years from now? Do you see yourself making the new Run for Cover website, like, or do you see yourself just kind of sticking to the music music um, side? Yeah, I mean, I, I like having a hand in everything. You know, I like 
knowing everything that's going on. And that can be kind of a challenge at times when, you know, a lot of the work that I used to do is, is handed down to other people. You know, I don't do like, I don't lay out our records and stuff anymore. That's something that I used to spend a lot of time doing. So sometimes something will get by me, you know, and I won't, I won't have seen like the back of a record or the insert to a record, you know, it's like actually kind of hard to make sure that like my eyes get on everything before, before it happens. I guess that that's one of your benefits of being the head honcho, if you will, that you're really just choosing what roles you still like to do. Yeah. I mean, Tom and I kind of just do everything, whether that is, you know, handing down work to one of our other employees, but on like the business end of things, Tom and I kind of just split all the work. Got hmm. you. Let me, let me, so it's interesting. So like, like I was saying, bad timing is predominantly just Thomas and I, but we have this incredible individual that works for us, Emily, who does our mail order, our finances and our publicity <laughs> and at this point and and it kind of it all kind it slowly happened and now she does everything with us and at this point like she is kind of like our version of your tom in yeah. some ways you know with different uh, thomas and i handle the business stuff but she does stuff that i don't think and i don't think at the rate we're running our label which went from zero to 60 unplanned that we could be running the label without her right now. Right. And I think that's kind of where you got to when you finally got Tom. Yeah. In, right? I, like, I feel he's like, he couldn't have a better person to be doing what he's doing. Uh, we're definitely on the same page about pretty much everything. And he excels in everything that I am bad at. Right. Yeah. And that's what's like, like I can't look at a spreadsheet without wanting to cry. And Emily's like, Oh, I got all the royalties yeah, yeah, done yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but was it hard for you? Maybe, maybe not Tom, but you know, I know you have four to, you know, four or so other employees. Was it hard for you to like seed control? Cause I, I, as I view it, like even when Thomas and I have discussed having an intern and we have our first intern right now, it was like, yeah, but can we trust anyone that's not us? Because, you know, for a lot of reasons, like, was that hard for you to get your head around? Not hard because, uh, you know, Tom took so much of, the stress off of my shoulders, you know, and I mean, just because what I was attempting to do wasn't possible. And I realized that that is more important than, you know, having full control. I think, you know, you obviously know, I just think you got to let go at some point because if you're trying to, you know, hoard power over every single aspect of a company, um, you're going to, you're going to be frustrated no matter what. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to find like, you know, what, what you're willing to give up with, with what you like actually want and need to be doing like you wouldn't want like you still like coding stuff yeah. right now you wouldn't want to give that up even though maybe it could go a little better or like you you'll probably sleep better at night for now at least knowing that you made sure that this exact thing was right but there's probably other examples where like you don't need to be doing that anymore and it's good that you gave something up to whatever tay or dane or tom yeah definitely i think the only thing i would really have a problem with is you know someone else being in control of the bands that we worked with which obviously it wouldn't happen um against my will but um you know as long as as long as that's in place you kind of figure out it's like just pretty much a give and take situation the only thing that kind of annoys me about it is not knowing some things you know that you know, Tom, Tom and mm, Brian, sure. you know, do on a daily basis. Like, I'm not super familiar with, like, our distribution 
back end, you know, like I don't even know if I. <laughs> That's good, man, because I got the same thing, and yeah, it is a nightmare. You know, I, I would probably have to ask Tom if I wanted to even log in because you know that. <laughs> right, like Tom, yeah, for like Thomas doesn't know any. Like I handle all that stuff. There's there's certain stuff like like you were saying like. Tom has handled your weak points, right? And you, and and that's good because you don't have to do those things and you would maybe not be so yeah, good at that. Yeah, but if Tom died, I don't know what would happen. <laughs> yeah, but the label would probably die. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, you know, like when I get the notification every month of like your ADA sales report is finished or whatever, I like text Tom, I'm like, yo, how much money do we make? You know, like... <laughs> And then Tom's like, wait, it's taken me 25 <laughs> minutes to figure out how to yeah. make a show. Because <laughs> that's what I did two days yeah. ago. So with that, as far as, obviously, as a record label, you have to deal with a manager, a band, a booking agent, and then your place. Is there things in that relationship that where you see borders changing in a bad way? Or have you seen an evolution in those borders? Is there things you like versus don't like with dealing with those people that you see are headaches or good things examples do you have any insight i would say probably like half of our bands have managers mm-hmm. um and i think that that's an interesting thing to also dwell on though is that every band i feel like that writes us questions doesn't think they could ever sign to run for cover without a manager yeah i mean i honestly would rather sign a band without a manager um <laughs> the J, yeah, the J Tree guys too are like no management. <laughs> yeah, I, I think just because of the nature of a lot of the artists that we're working with currently, that a lot of them, you know, would probably even like laugh at the idea of needing a manager, just because they're just completely in control of everything regarding their music, you know, and how it's presented. I mean, on the other hand, a band like Citizen and Modern Baseball need a manager because there's, you know, way too much going on for the band to coordinate things themselves i think you know a few years ago i wasn't super psyched on working with a lot of managers but for i feel pretty different about it now uh, none of our bands really have managers that we you know butt heads with and i think you know that's really what gets frustrating when um you start working with a band who has a manager and they're just like immediately you know coming at you like you've done something wrong when you haven't even done anything yet you know i've experienced that a few times and it's just why not why wouldn't you just want to you know all be on the same page and work together as opposed to you know implying that like just the whole manager versus record label thing. I hate. And I I, I, th- I, I agree. And I have to tell bands that in the studio all the time. And I, I'm thankfully at a great place usually to say, it, cause I'm like the third party, but like, I always tell this joke that, um, Greg from go-kart told me, which is, um, there's a guy down on the ground and there's a guy up in a balloon. The guy in the balloon goes, Hey, how the fuck do I get down from here? He goes, well, uh, you find some trees, you jump in on them, you wait till you get a hill, or maybe that thing will deflate or something. He goes, oh, you must uh, run a record label because everything you're telling me is totally fucking obvious to any idiot on the street. <laughs> and he goes, hey, you must be in a band because you now blame me for the shitty situation you got into yourself, and I was just trying to help you. <laughs> yeah, that's but, about right. <laughs> but uh, I think that that is a thing, though, is like, you know, like I had a band that 
I'm friends with that's doing very well. They call me up and they they sign with this manager like a month and a half before, and he's blaming their record label and telling them all the things this record label didn't do. It's like, dude, this record label is so small. They if like you say they didn't get you a good enough publicist. Like it's like this is ridiculous. You sold two hundred records. Yeah, I mean, uh, one example I can think of, and I'm obviously not going to name any names, but um, we pressed a record for a band after the recording was already released, um, and we put it on vinyl. The it, it was like orange vinyl, I believe, and um, there was like streaks of another color in the vinyl. You know, obviously because that's what vinyl looks like like 99 percent of the time. And, <laughs> and uh, the manager of the band, after we sent them the records, was like, "This isn't orange. There's like uh, you know yellow in it. There's streaks of yellow. Like, can you contact the the pressing plant about this and get this fixed?" And I, I was just like, <laughs> you know, I don't even know what to say to that. You know, it's just like, <laughs> why? How are you? You're making a, this problem out of thin air. This is not an issue. No one cares this is how the world works sometimes like we just all need to breathe a little bit <laughs> yeah like uh, it, it you're just like making work is work for yourself you know just mm. that it, a lot of little issues like that i mean obviously that is just a stupid thing to say in the first place but i feel like a lot of managers think that they have to be butting heads with the label and have to be melting the label for everything that they're willing to do and you know that just makes people not want to work together i feel like yeah i think there's a big thing that you have to keep a good working relationship together and i think there is another thing that like you do get labels who out of insecurity don't want like i can remember with drive through they never wanted bands to have managers because they realized that everybody would see that these two are adults who are fucking childs and are total fucking morons yeah and there's one thing with that, and then there's another thing with exactly what you're saying, is that there's these managers who... And, you know, there is a thing that I think what's good about management is that you are checking a balance. Like, what's nice about the booking agent, the label, and the manager is you get a whole lot of different opinions from other people. And let's be honest, like, musicians get a lot of smoke blown up their ass. Their significant others tell them they deserve more than they want, even though they know nothing about the music business. And you want to believe that stuff, and it's great to have a team that gives you a check and a balance. Yeah, definitely. I agree with... And there's a big difference, too, between, like, disagreeing and working out a better solution and, and like, yelling at you or, like, you know, trying to milk you for all your work, totally. too. I think really the only, only thing that I do not like about managers is that I would just prefer to be, you know, have that close working relationship with the band, which is sometimes lost when, you know, only communication is between manager and label. You know, not like it has to be that way. Obviously, we can talk to the band about whatever, but, you know, like the the official business is being done from label to manager. You know, I, sometimes I would just rather it not not have that middleman, you know, but obviously I understand why it needs to exist. So, so with that... Um you and I went through one of the least enjoyable parts of our friendship when we had to figure out Man Overboard leaving to go to Rise. And you're now in the point with your record label. I'd like to say also, one of the things I liked about that is I never sat there thinking you were an awful person no matter wh how we went through those negotiations. It was a mutually respectable thing. Yes. And like, but uh, so now you're in the position where some bands have put out records on smaller labels than you. And they're now jumping up to you and that other labels feeling like you're the big guy who just stole their band that they discovered. How has that evolution been on your mind? And have you had any thoughts about that over the years? Yes. Um, I, you know, obviously I learned from 
that situation and other similar situations um, around that same time. I think I was just kind of naive. You got to have things in in writing with signatures or else, you know, people's minds change and um, people, you know, different opportunities arise where people feel like they'd be stupid to not take that opportunity. And if you're not legally in a legally binding contract, uh, you know, I understand why people do things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I guess what I've taken from it is that I, I realize that we are sometimes the rise in that situation. I think that, Sell out? <laughs> I, yeah. I think that we kind of just try to treat, um, the label as fairly as possible, you know, instead of, I don't like like taking releases from a label, you know, even if even if the band is like we need a label to re-release this record because the other label completely fucked it up. I mean, I guess in that situation, it doesn't matter. But if they haven't fucked it, everything up and the band just wants, um, you know, a larger label to put out the record, that's something that I sort of feel weird about. But if it's something that we're going to do, um, just try to do it in in the fairest way possible where, you know, the label isn't getting completely screwed over just because I remember, you know, how I felt in similar situations. I have uh, two nerdy questions, but when, I don't know if this is actually on your, your business. I don't know if you have actually anything to do with this, but like every, you know, Thomas and I will have to decide like how much we want to sell a record for. Right. And you know, I, and Tiny Engines is a good example. They started selling that Hotel Year album a year ago for $12. And I think almost anyone would buy it for $16 on vinyl, right? And eventually they raised their they raised all their vinyl prices from 12 to 14 and no one really had a shit fit. And, and uh, Bad Timing sells most of our full lengths for like 14 bucks as well. But Hopeless or Rise, they sell their LPs for 18 and. There's like a there's an argument I guess to me made that like the price doesn't matter as long as like the quote unquote market will pay for it. Do you like do you consider that stuff? Obviously, you're not going to sell like a single record for twenty two bucks or something like that. But do you is that much of a thought on your mind, or does that like go to Tom of how you should make things work for your audience? Or like I don't know if that makes sense a lot, but it, it's interesting if you see like a punk label sell a record for one more dollar than it cost and then bad timing sell it for five more four, five less dollars than hopeless but then run for cover maybe fall somewhere in the middle like do you have you had to think about that how the business has evolved yeah. um i always liked you know doing the punk thing and keeping everything as cheap as possible i know i've seen like death wish have haven't raised their prices maybe ever i'm pretty sure they still sell lps for twelve dollars uh, which I think is awesome. I don't think that it really makes a whole lot of sense for us to be doing that. I think we made the the twelve to fourteen dollar jump uh, probably like a year and a half ago. Some of our LPs are fifteen. I don't think we've really sold anything more than that, unless it's been a double LP. But, so when you made that jump, what was behind that decision? Well, I think that you know, obviously, fourteen dollars isn't a crazy price for an LP, and it, it's it's cheap to a lot of people because you know a lot of um, comparable i guess not labels on the same tier as us but a lot of bigger labels than us um sell lps for a lot more but you i mean what i think is interesting though too that i guess we're not touching on is though you give decent recording budgets to bands too and not that death wish is skimpy by any means but i would say if i was taking a blind guess at you guys budgets that you're giving a higher bit of money up front than they are yeah that's probably true 
but I mean, you can't really price a record or based around that, you know. Like the more money you give to a band, I wouldn't say that it, it's really fair to charge more for that record. Although, like logically, that does make sense. Really, uh, we kind of realized we needed to be selling our records for a slightly higher price, and to offset that, we upped the quality of you know pretty much every asset of our vinyl releases. Whereas now, like our LP jackets are all have like a double wide spine and are like the higher quality stock, you know, which might cost 40 cents more per LP jacket and we'll charge a dollar or more for it, you know? So we kind of just make sure that, you know, the quality is there for what people are paying for. So, you you know, there's really nothing to complain about. Hmm. So, no, but when you say that, that the higher budget doesn't figure into it, as a label, when you're starting to put out, like I think about like an epitaph or even what major labels consider, it's just that that is the thing is that they're like, well, our bottom line is so much higher. So we have to charge these stupid $30 in Urban Outfit private things because there's a bigger budget. Yeah. Um, I mean, that obviously does make sense. But on the other hand, the more money we give a band, the more we expect that release to sell, you know? True. Um, so that kind of factors into it. But on the other side of things, our records, we have been noticing, are pretty expensive in stores. Um, a lot of places being like $20 and over. Yeah, it's interesting. That's been like such an interesting thing as we've also, you know, as we've gone distribution too. And like, you have to figure out how you have to sell it to them and then they'll sell it. It's like you have, do you sell it so you can make money and then the bands can make money? And so do you sell it a little higher or do you sell it lower? The stores aren't charging 22 bucks for it. It's like yeah, such a weird Yeah, and they thing. can obviously charge whatever they want, which people think that we're the ones making, you know, whatever random indie store in Wisconsin sell a Citizen record for $23 when, you know, we would obviously much rather that not be happening. Right. And even, even Hot Topic. Yeah, there's so many, there's so many business things. Hot oh, Topic yeah, Hot used to sell like... records for, you know, closer to half of what they sell them for now. And, wow. you know, they, uh, they sell our single yeah, LPs yeah. for, you know, sometimes $25 and, and people obviously notice that. And you know, the same thing happened with Newbery Comics. Like we did an exclusive color of the uh, last Tiger Shot LP with them and they were selling it online for like $26 or something. And, you know, they're not going to do the exclusive with us otherwise. And also don't tell us what they're going to sell it for ahead of time. You know, maybe we didn't ask, but you know, not that they're doing anything wrong because they're not. It's just. No, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's like an interesting thing. Like same thing with Hot Topic. For Knuckle Puck, we did a one-sided, you know, 12-inch with a B-side screen print. And we we almost felt at first like, man, can we charge $12 for this? Um and we did, and it went very, very well. It was our best-selling release ever. And then Hot Topic bought it, and they're selling that same thing for like eighteen bucks, and that's a lot of money for four, for six songs and a screen yeah, print. Yeah, that, you know? that's where things um, get weird, it, especially it, with non-full-length twelve inches, because obviously right. it costs. You know, recording costs are different, but um, it obviously costs the same to make a twelve-inch EP. Where if that was a CD fifteen years ago, it would be seven dollars, you know. But just just because right, of the format, yeah. it has to be you know twelve or fourteen dollars. And I don't see a lot of people complaining about that because I think I think people understand that generally. Right. And yeah. And to also be fair, like many, well, not everyone, definitely not everyone. There are so many people that go to Hot Topic and find music still somehow, and I don't really get it, and I don't know that you get it either. That like. There are still people out there that don't know that you can go to runforcoverrecords.com and buy a record, but they'll find it in yeah. Hot Topic, even if it's more expensive. And that's like, 
That's interesting, and that's why we sell things to Hot Topic, yes. for example. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're important, and, and I, I get that Hot Topic helps out a lot of labels. Um, you know, like you guys who who getting doing an exclusive through them, you know, having them purchase, you know, 300 or 500 copies up front is huge. Oh, yeah, super yeah. incredible. For our, for our first ever release, they even the second pressing of that acceptance record, they bought uh, 500 copies, and that paid off the other 500 we made. And so we made not to be like gross or businessy, you know, we made pure profit on the other, on the other 500 and it was our first ever release. It was like, what? I, I, you know, we didn't even know that things were. Yeah. I mean, hot topic is unlike any other place. They pay an incredibly high amount, buy in in huge quantities, pay you almost upfront for everything at once. Right. They can't return anything. It's, (laughs) People slam Hot Topic all the time, and I'm like, I don't know, man. Our label's been so much easier to run because of them. Same for you guys, and even, like, I would imagine way more yeah, for you I mean, guys. like, two years ago, they were helping us out so much by buying, you know, 500 or 1,000 copies of most of the records that we put out. Um, and, you know, obviously, it makes less sense with the stuff that a lot of the stuff that we're doing now. But, uh, right, you know, they're right. doing an exclusive for the Citizen record, and I think, they, I think Tom told me they bought 1,300 copies. Yeah, which is huge. Yeah, no, it's it's really it's special. Like the distribution thing is a magical fake thing in my head still. <laughs> yeah, and, and the fact uh, that you can make those deals happen without having distribution, which you didn't have with your first release, is right, incredible right. for smaller labels. You know. Oh yes, Jeff. Like bad timing. We put releases like almost all of our. Maybe we haven't done this for a single release, but ninety nine percent of our releases. We'll announce at, on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. and we'll put them for pre-order on sale the next day at 2 p.m. Wednesday, and that's like kind of become our thing. And like I don't know, someone someday told someone it might have been Jesse, it might have been someone else. I don't know. Someone a long time ago was like, if if someone wants to buy something, give them give them the opportunity to buy it. Like don't make them wait. Don't make them. Don't let them forget yeah, about I, it. I but wrote like, that in the book, and that for, was a big philosophy I had for years. I don't think that applies to every right. level bad though. Right. I, I agree. But it, it's worked for us. It's why we've done so well, I think. It's kind of become, like people at this point know like, hey, we have an announcement and they ask 2 p.m. and we say yes. Um, but a lot of labels, mo- nine, I, I would say almost every single label doesn't do it that way. And Run for Cover, for example, you'll announce you'll announce a release and then three weeks later, two weeks later, two months, not two months, a month later, you'll put pre-orders up. And like, do you... Do you think about that, or is it kind of just like we have all the assets for pre-orders now? We'll put them up. Like sometimes it seems like you guys launch stuff right away, and then other times you'll you'll sort of take your time. Is there a, is there a thought process behind that? Not really. There's a lot of moving parts, you know, and a lot of times it relies on, um, you know, a press a press thing getting set up. Like for example. Um, Fader posted that new turnover song today and like they don't work around anything for us you know like we have to do what they want to do it has to be posted when they want to post it Um, and sometimes it it might be a little too far out in our mind to start pre-orders you know when a song is being like the first song for a record is being posted Um, but I think ideally we would do it the way that you guys do it. It's just not really possible at all times, I guess. I mean, I guess if, if we really tried hard, we could make that happen. Um, just sometimes things don't work out that way. But I do I do think that doing that um, 
you know, telling people when something is going to go on sale and doing it the day ahead of time every time is a good way to do it because people know what to expect and, you know, it's so consistent that they people know what you guys are going to do. And I think that has a lot to do with why your releases sell out so quickly, obviously, because every, right. everyone's buying them the day that they are released because they know about it ahead of time. Right. And not that it's like taking advantage, but like on the same way, like when you're really excited to get something, sometimes you'll buy that extra vinyl variant that you maybe don't yeah. need, you know? Yeah. I think actually, yes. It's, I think the way that you guys do it is um, a great way to heighten excitement. But then, I mean, do you guys ever, does your website ever break because of all the traffic that you get at one time? No, we've never had, we've never had it. And that's like why I, I recommend limited oh, run true. to everyone. Yeah, yeah. And I think I've recommended it to you. Like we, we luckily don't, you know, we don't pay hosting. We don't do anything. I don't, I don't think ever in two years, limited run has gone down on us. Um, which is awesome. We, we, you know, we have fucked up things like we've flipped on the wrong switch or off the wrong switch, but we've never had any of those problems. Like it's nice when you can actually trust something that's like, this is a good, like we were, I asked you before, like, was it hard to trust people? It's nice to trust software that's making your business. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, for a lot of our releases, if we did announce stuff ahead of time at a certain you know, hour of the day for pre-orders to go up, it probably would break our website. Right. I can imagine like being like, hey, if you want the new Citizen record, go here, X, Y, Z, and then yeah. it would be over. Uh, <laughs> when we are during a, to get techie, we're during that, this era where that's not going to happen anymore if you have the right server. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And sometimes we, we, we upgrade our servers for like, you know, say Black Friday weekend or something. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll pay, you know, $400 for that month, you know, for the service that month. Yeah, it shouldn't happen, but sometimes it does. And obviously sending everyone to your website at the same time is a pretty good way to test out if your website is going to break or not. <laughs> to wrap things up, um, I'm convinced that everybody in the music business always has something that every, that you're thinking, why doesn't anybody get this? Why is everybody doing this dumb thing? Do you have one of those? Um, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, this is a good thing to talk to you about because we did it together, but how other labels and bands deal with leaks. Oh, yeah. I, I everybody now sees you guys as the the sole one that does it right. Run, yeah, like yeah. Actually, that's I don't think there's even a question. It's kind of weird because you don't. I feel like we don't actually see all too many leaks. You guys maybe have the worst luck out of anyone. I think because your releases are often more like bloggers are more seeking after them than a lot of other labels. But yeah, I feel like you guys are the pioneers. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't get why labels not making a release available for purchase when it leaks. Is, is Ralph making a cameo? Yeah, I don't know why. He's, he's mad about something that's happening outside. I, I just don't get why, if people are allowed to obtain it illegally, why you wouldn't give them the option of, of purchasing it. it. That makes no sense. It goes against all logic. Um, and even, even labels our size and smaller haven't haven't started doing that and i find that to be very strange it is it is odd especially like when so many labels whether you whether we agree with it or not or like first week sales gotta get the first week sales like i don't know. i remember several years ago now maybe even three years ago like a say anything album the one before the most recent one leaked like a solid six weeks early um and the band and the band and the label just ignored it like they didn't it wasn't that they said hey please like pre-order our album they just ignored it and like it was clearly there <laughs> and i don't know yeah to me it's like not that not that you guys will ask um people for pity but 
I think you'll often just say, hey, please support us. I, you know, I don't think it's always about pity, though. It's so much of it is about people spend more money on the musicians they identify with. And I don't think that's always pity. That's feeling a kinship with them. And these are some of the few times that you can cash in isn't the right word, but commodify that or have that happen when something bad goes wrong. Sometimes major albums will leak and people will just completely ignore them. Um, rather, like labels will ignore the leak when it's a month out. And what you guys do, like, I don't think you guys ever try to, like, beg for money, but you'll all, you know, it, it strikes a chord with music fans when you say, hey, like this band's album that they put, you know, they put two years of work into this, like, please help us out if you like it at all. And that goes a lot further, I think, and even gains kind of traction for bands rather than say, rather than just ignoring. Yeah, them. I mean, I, I really can't think of one reason why a label wouldn't make a record for sale, you know, when it leaks. If you're worried about first week sales, you know, sell it for $5 before people are expecting to get it and, you know, add hundreds to thousands of sales to your first week sales, you know? It, I don't know. I don't know why people wouldn't do it. I think there's an animosity towards it. I think there's a lot of people who can't view this as a music video. I think that's probably one of the differences is if there's any reason the three of us are friends is it's that we're humongous music nerds who were avidly waiting for records all the time. And we knew what it was like because of our age to download albums early. And I think there's a lot of people who are in these positions who all their lives and for as long as they've been in these positions, this has just been something that's annoyed them. Yeah, and I guess, like, I understand not wanting to change um, the way you do something because of people who are leaking your records. I, I get, you know, mm -hmm. ignoring it because it, it angers you or it's frustrating to deal with. But I say one of my <laughs> guiding principles is I don't like to reward bad behavior, but there's another thing to reward yourself yeah. from somebody else's bad behavior, not yeah. rewarding them. Yeah, exactly. I mean... Yeah, it's it's not going to stop happening, um, and if it's something that is frustrating to people who are running record labels because of financial reasons, you know, all I can say is make it for sale. You know, you can get a record on iTunes within 24 hours. Yeah, it, that, and which is funny because I can remember that even when we did that with Man Over, that was a problem back then, and now it's never a problem. Yeah, yes, it was a lot harder then. Um, it was like 72 hours stretched it usually. I think that's how long it took for it to get on iTunes. Yeah. Remember finding the guy that leaked Real Talk? It was the best. <laughs> I, 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 I still, I, I literally was talking about this the other day about how much sleuthing you and I did with that and <laughs> that you finally figured it out with The Last FM Listens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's some good shit. Like, I don't even know that you could do that now. Like, to an extent... To an extent, it can be easier because I feel like all you know, all like albums are watermarked now and blah blah blah. But like, it's it's probably harder to track stuff because a lot of yeah, it's gotta I, be I'd harder. Also, I would also never even care enough to try to do that again. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, but they, your your label was in a fine like you know you were depending on that release in totally. some ways. You know, yeah. I think there was also something really fun. fun. We were so <laughs> we were so bad when that girl first posted it on her Tumblr. Yeah, weren't, just weren't, a, weren't you talking to like a, a yeah. thirteen year old girl over AIM who had the uh, record? It, sitting in Union Square on a Hackintosh laptop, and I <laughs> broke a date with this girl just to beg her to not post any more songs. <laughs> I am big with her in Union Square on a fucking Verizon hotspot in Union Square. I remember, um, man, like a year ago now even, actually, and this this also involved Jeff, which is funny, like a year ago now, uh, 
someone had posted on Reddit that like knuckle puck had signed oh, to rise. Yeah. And this was like, it was just a few months after the band had signed the contract. And you know, the, the deal of the contract was like rise was going to let us put out our own EP completely on our own, which was while I stay secluded and have like, you know, it was, it was all on us. They weren't going to help us at all. And it was great. That's what we wanted, but we knew where we, we, we knew where we wanted the band's home to be because run for cover wouldn't sign us for some reason. <laughs> Super strange. And uh, this kid like posts, yeah, man. Like just on a Reddit Reddit thread, like run for cover, sign to rise. Like no, you mean and at this pucks. point, no knuckle one knew. Pucks. Like the ink, you know, the ink was fresh, you know. Like, and I was freaking out. And Jeff was like, "I think I found this first. Like, the, or Jeff, that guy, that same kid had like leaked run for cover information. In yes, the past I hate that like fucking that. kid. And He's honestly probably gonna listen to this. Um, <laughs> he, I'm sure I hope he does and I you know he's obviously gonna leak everything else we have I've thought, I thought about <laughs> hacking him um we went like y- you and I got really into it I remember we were like what what kind of like ignorance yeah. can we, we can we do and then we were like maybe we yeah, should I, mean, I totally I totally <laughs> want to do it I think it would be really easy uh it's <laughs> it would definitely yeah, be really easy. Him, all we need is his IP address. Uh, but it's just like, I don't care enough to do it. But that kid is super annoying. Uh, we actually thought he was one of our interns. And huh. we like sent oh, the man. link to one of our interns as being like, yo, is this you? Like, just like sit telling, like, run for cover, like, industry secrets. Uh, and it wasn't him, but it, it boggles my mind how this person knows these things. I. I it really confuses me. Right. Sometimes but it's they just have one like, friend that's in the 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 right the right circles that knows these things. Yeah, I mean that's all, that is probably what it is. But uh, who's that friend, and why are they telling this person all this stuff? Well, but there's always <laughs> especially that when person. you know that person is just leaking. Yeah. The, the other thing I've learned though over the years too to 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 piggyback on that is uh, don't accuse the wrong person because that comes around. There used to be when I worked at West West Side. And we were mastering every record in punk indiedom. Uh, there was a certain record label who accused us of starting the leaks, and me in particular, many, many times. At the risk of being in legal trouble, but I'll tell you guys later, I got my revenge. And it was very, very good for him trying to say, because it was never me. I, uh, like, recently, a public, I got super into it with a publicist that I just don't have a relationship with anymore about, like, he, uh, this this kid wrote like oh Jeff you saw this too like this dude wrote like a blog about me a blog post about being being like Zach Zarillo's a hypocrite and it like involved this like it involved like a screenshot from a publicist that was like Zach Zarillo did this that and this and <laughs> it's like who who why are you telling a random person on the internet that like runs a blog that only posts hateful things like when you're probably a 30 to 40 year old man or woman that is a professional in the music industry. It is really, it's really interesting to see how information gets leaked out. Cause like, you know, me, me, when I was 16, finding that balance and composure and title fight, we're going on a Bayside and census fail tour. is like so much different than being like, uh, whatever knuckle puck of sign to rise or Jeff hates this band. Like the, the kind of information that gets out is so funny compared to what do you, do you ever post stuff um, that hasn't been announced yet? No, no more, no more. Like, but it, you know, it took me a long time to figure that out. Like I couldn't understand why Merrick was emailing me at 3 a.m. saying he was going to kill me. <laughs> you know, it took me a while. Cause when, you know, when you're, I just, I had no reason to under, you know, there weren't really blogs before like music, like, you know, music scene blogs before properties act outside of like absolute punk. You know, I didn't, 
have anyone to show me the way. It's not like I had interned for Absolute Punk or something. And I I thought, like, why wouldn't a band want me to post that they're going on tour? I didn't understand that you have to announce things and that things are that there's pre-sales and ticket links and really? stuff, you know? Like I I had no not when oh, I was okay. 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't get it. You know, no, now I obviously yeah. do. It took it, you know, after after a few times of pissing people off, I, I got it, right? But like there sometimes you just don't know. And that's why like sometimes when people will fuck up today instead of like when they're young, instead of like destroying them, I'll be like, hey, you fucked up here for sure. This is what you got to do next time. Because if someone told that to me instead of being like, you're 16, you're a child, no one will ever respect you. You use Tumblr, I'll never work with you again. Like, it, you know, it would have gone a long way rather than me being scared. You know, I would have had more of a desire to do something right. Yeah. Uh, so, like, what What if there was, like, really, like, a game-changing thing? Well, I, I did do that, right? Like, like I, I leaked that Fall Out Boy. Oh, yeah. That was, like, that was that only last year? That was... Two years ago? Two years ago now. Uh, three years ago now? 2013. So, two okay. years ago. And that was the last time um, you did this? Yeah. That was the last time I think I really leaked anything, honestly. That was kind of my, that was like my, fuck you guys. I, I got to the top and I'm done doing <laughs> this now. <laughs> um, that was it for me. And that was something so big that like, to me, that was, you know, leaking that a band is going on tour with a band and both of those bands tour seven months out of the year anyway. Like, who cares about that? You know, like. That's going to get out. I want to go. It doesn't make sense to ruin anything. But I don't know. Fall Out Boy reuniting to me felt like a, like an event, like a story. Like if I knew the news that, that Blink was kicking Tom DeLonge out of the band, I would have. Okay, yeah. That, I guess that's what I was going to ask. You know what I mean? Because that's like a, that's a story. It's different than just any other normal event. Like what what's it going to do for me to be like, uh, you know, how like album, how album stuff leaking, will leak Leaking on. that Ronnie Radke's getting a sex change. Right. Or, you know, like stuff will go onto iTunes a day early before, and you know, hours before bands announce the releases, right? That's not going to do me anything. Like you're, you're going to post that in five hours anyway. Who cares? But to me, if it's like a story that changes things, I would consider it today. But I'm also, I've also kind of stepped away yeah, from that. But, yeah, but I mean, and something like a Blink-182 news, like I don't really see that. Uh, obviously they're a huge band, but I don't see that. They're almost so big that I don't see how it could negatively affect you. Right. Like with, with the Fall Out Boy situation, it was a little funny because I interned for their management company once upon a time. But yeah, like, you know, Blink, I've never gotten, like, I don't know. I don't know them. Like Mark Hoppus doesn't give a yeah. fuck about me, you know? <laughs> like I would love that, <laughs> but it's true. Um, so yeah, it's, it, you have to pick and choose, but I think like when I was starting out, there was no telling what was right or wrong. It was just kind of like a wild, wild West. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think also now so much has changed, right? Like run for cover, Hollix didn't exist in 2009 or 2010 and run for cover probably couldn't have paid for it either. Come on. There was and, like, play there's, you know, there's all these then, man. <laughs> oh yeah. God. You know, there's all these things that everyone, I think there's a lot more precaution now for everyone. Cause we've all gone through the shitty leaks. Yeah. Why don't we do recommendations then? Let me think. Uh, a band I've been listening to a lot lately is uh, King Woman, who just put out an EP. Um, last Another week. great band name. <laughs> yes. Um, she used to sing and were actually for a little while. I believe she's only on one record. Um, it's kind of got like a, a Jezu feel to it with, um, I guess in general, probably more interesting than Jezu, although I like Jezu a lot. It kind of reminds me of like Jezu with 
really interesting, more dynamic female vocals. Hmm. Um, so it's really right up Zach's alley. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I actually just I just leaked all of their recordings. <laughs> oddly enough, that's how excited I am. Uh, I, I think the worst thing of J- about Jay Z is their vocals, so I might be into that. Yeah, th- their vocals are are weird. They're kind of a boring band by default, but um, I like it either way. I guess something else I've been listening to a lot lately that's not Rumper Cover related is a band from Tennessee called Bandit. Zach, you probably heard of them, right? I have another. They're another female fronted band. It's I wouldn't even know how to describe it. It's good though. Zach, yeah. uh, The new early November record was announced this week, and um, that at this point is the favorite. My favorite record I've heard this year. It's really really good. Um, sounds like uh, much like same sad heart of early November from ten years ago, but older. And I think Better Call Saul has finally is finally getting into some of its stride. And I, I'm enjoying the TV show now. I'm really behind on it because I have no life right now, and all I do is produce. But uh, I did watch uh, some of the Jinx on HBO, and that show's amazing. What is that about? It's a guy. You can't really tell what it's about when you've only seen three episodes. But oh, I this think guy I've heard about who's this. a really yeah, yeah. rich guy under uh, Durst Realty, which owns tons of buildings in New York. I, I watch walk by Durst buildings all the time, and then I think I, how I did it all for the Nookie. <laughs> um, but uh, the son of this empire, I guess, killed like three people, but he's never been to jail for it. And this is like this a, is a real, real story. story. It's an interview with him. The guy's a fucking creep among creeps. Wait, the sh- show is an interview. It's an interview, reenactment, and showing all the facts, and it's a like eight part documentary on how this guy has gotten away with so much murder. What? It's a, it's actually a documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a documentary with like very high production value and reenactment. Oh, huh. so it, obviously it's like a short a short thing. It's hour long episodes for eight episodes. Huh. That sounds interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, uh, if I wasn't so exhausted, I'd have seen a lot more of it. Yeah. I'm probably going to watch that. Obviously, uh, the, like the value, the production value of pretty much everything on HBO is pretty high. It's kind of just like finding the things that you're interested in to watch. I, I think that's the nice thing now is that every documentary has gotten good. Like, you notice how there's no bad music documentaries now? Yeah. I've not really, I don't really, I I have never really dug into the documentary game. And I feel like I'm missing a lot, right? You haven't seen 24-Hour Party People, even though that's not a documentary. Have you seen? I've really seen, like, you, no documentary. Have you never like, seen? I'm not, I, there's have really you never no seen point. Dig? There's really no point in me lying. No. I don't know what that is. Never seen Sound City. As somebody who works in the music business, I think Dig is the most essential movie to watch. I've never, I've never seen that either. Really? It's uh. so, so what it is, is it's the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Oh, okay, yeah, the, I have seen that. That movie is incredible. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's just the best. I think maybe I'll maybe just you need to make a, a music documentary. Uh, maybe I'll me. make one for your site. Oh yeah. Bring me the trap. Bring me the I pictures. can tell you right now that the Sound City and Wilco documentaries are definitely two of the best. I agree. I definitely agree. Those if you, you can't okay. work in music and not watch those. I will I, I have spring break coming. You know, <laughs> We're come talking here. about maybe four hours of your time here. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, it's hard. You know, I got finals, I got fifteen. Got revive Ebo. <laughs> I gotta I gotta defend and revive. Is, I think the emo revival might be dead. So 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 that case, what's next, Jeff? <laughs> New gays, right? Jeff is bringing back new gays. I is think that that's it? already happened. I, I think so too. Okay. Are we on to new metal? 
I, I actually, I think we might be. Because the only band that's <laughs> done it so far is really Issues. That's why I signed Knuckle Puck to Rise, because they're, they're, that's the kind of album they're making right now. Um, Jesse, that band, Sworn In, who you may have heard of, is also quite new metal. You know, I, I've not. They I've don't not. rap. They don't rap, which is an essential asset to most good new metal. But I mean, they're, <laughs> they're they're not good. But it's it's also not like funny like issues is. When I was listening to a hundred words or less, and you were like, was really into Limp Biscuit. I was like, I'm just trying to picture Jess, <laughs> like Jeff listening to Limp Biscuit when he's like ten. Dude, that, when I first when I first... and th- and then I was trying to then I was trying to picture Jesse producing Limp Biscuit when Jeff was fifteen. Yeah, that might be my favorite story ever. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening to Off The Record this week. To keep up with us, you can check in at offtherecord.fm or twitter.com slash offtherecord.fm. Jesse's on Twitter at, at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Zizarillo. You can listen in with us live at adobe.com and you can even give us a rating at iTunes or ask us a question by tweeting hashtag askotr. Thank you. We'll be back next week.